We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview, presented by Walk-On Sports Bistro. I'm Neil McCready. That is Pete DeWeese, our MPW Digital resident football expert. We're going to uh, look back a little bit at uh, Ole Miss's 45-20 loss at LSU. Uh, we're going to talk about that game a little bit, look at some of the things I'm going to quiz Pete on, on maybe his thoughts on what went wrong, why it went wrong. And then uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time, though, uh, spinning ahead because I think this game, and Pete agrees with me, this game, uh, Ole Miss at Texas A&M Saturday, 6.30 p.m. at Kyle Field, SEC Network is such a big game for Ole Miss. It's the difference between eight and one and seven and two going into the open date. And let's be real, it's potentially the difference between nine and three, ten and two, or having seven and five on the table. There's there's a lot there if you depending on how the game shakes out. It's a critical game. So I think we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about that. So before we do that, let me get to uh, our friends at Walk Ons because they make this show possible. Walk-On Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering, made-from-scratch Louisiana cuisine, po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers and fresh salads, all in front of 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. Visit them in Oxford or Ridgeland, and don't forget they can take care of your tailgating needs as well. Inquire today about their family and friends bundles. Their tailgate platters, you can order online at walkons.com or on their convenient walk-ons app. Pete, how are you? I'm well. I am well. Sitting here looking at some stats and trying to figure out how we talk about this one. Yeah, it's an interesting game because there's so much behind the scenes with both teams. Uh, Texas A&M is like team chaos. They've got suspensions and Jimbo with word salads. And then Ole Miss has just injuries, just just so many injuries. And and you don't know because Lane is super private about it and they've locked it up pretty good. And everybody does that. I don't say that as a criticism, but you hear different things. And I don't really know what to believe. But look, I mean. Malik Heath's banged up. Zach Evans is banged up. Um, uh, Michael Trigg's not playing. Um, Cedric Johnson's not been healthy the last couple of weeks. He did not look good in the second half on Saturday when he tried to play. Troy Brown didn't play in the second half. I talked to Troy on, on our show here on the network, and he basically said he's going to play until it happens again. Not 
not if it happens again, but when it happens. When. And so you can figure that out. And then A.J. Finley didn't come back after he got hurt in the first quarter. He came back in dress in street clothes, stood on the sideline. But uh, is A.J. available? I don't know. Uh, there's just a lot there. And then with Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher says Haynes King will be the quarterback. But Haynes King looked to suffer a non-contact injury the other day, didn't finish the game. Uh, Wegman, the, the talented freshman who hasn't started a game, he finished the game. Maybe he starts. Uh, they've got three offensive line injuries. I, look, it's it's uh, it, it's for Ole Miss. It's eight games in eight straight weeks. They've got a bye week coming up, a much needed bye week. So, I mean, look, there's just a lot there when you try to dissect what this is going to be. So we're gonna do the best we can. Pete, I'll start with this though. Ole Miss goes to Baton Rouge. You were worried about LSU skill people. You said that. Um. You, you proved to be quite prophetic. They had a hard time on the outside with LSU skill people. But Ole Miss leads 17-3 to after one play in the second quarter. It's three seconds into the second quarter. From that point forward, LSU won the game 42-3 to to finish 45-20. to Kind of um, your overall thoughts, sort of what went wrong and, and um, how did it happen? I, I think – Man, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons and things that you can look at. I, I think one thing is you've talked a good bit in our conversations this year about Ole Miss's schedule and and how maybe it wasn't as hard as maybe they thought, and we were kind of realized that a few games in. And and reality is that was a blessing because to go eight straight weeks without a buy. And at a lot of positions that still need depth, um, it it took a toll, and and that was present before the game, but by halftime of that game, when Finley's down and and you know when Troy Brown goes down and Cedric Johnson doesn't look good and Zach Evans isn't on the field, um, you're already down Trig and you're down you know all these different guys, um, that that's going to add up at some point and and you know whether it's a a depth or an overall talent discrepancy or a rest discrepancy you didn't see LSU suffering the same way right um there there is for 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 everything that Kiffin has done in the portal to bring in a lot of really good players one thing that Ole Miss fans have talked about is we have not seen a lot of developed youth that have necessarily come to thrive in the program, right? You get you get guys that come out of the gate and thrive, right? I mean, we see that in the Ole Miss backfield right now. Um, but but think about all the, the receivers that we've seen Ole Miss sign out of high school in the past two or three years. And outside of Mingo – we don't see the production from those guys, right? It's a fair criticism. I brought it up over the weekend, and nobody has pushed back, which tells me that I was fair. Jonathan Mingo signed with the previous staff. He's still there. Every other receiver, they had a lot of success with Elijah Moore, obviously. Every other receiver that they've had success with has come out of the transfer portal. And they've signed some guys. Buckalter, um, Brown, Henry, I'm sure there are others that have gotten nothing. They've gotten nothing out of them. I mean, it it is it feels so odd to be criticizing a seven and one team. 
ranked 15th in the country. And it might not be fair. And then on the other hand, I think to myself, well, your job is to critique. And I do think there are some valid critiques when they spend the month of August, they being the coaching staff, mainly Lane, talking about depth. And then you get to this point, and one of your biggest problems is that there is no depth. And, you know, you can brag on one hand about transfer to the SIF and all of that, right? You can brag about it because you've had a lot of success in the transfer portal. You absolutely have. But the championship programs aren't doing it that way. And so you've got to also have success with high school guys, and they have with Igbenosin. They obviously have with Quinshawn Judkins. I mean, huge get for them. I mean, five-star Put that on the top line of your resume. Congratulations. Um, they've had some success with the two offensive linemen, although I thought they both kind of got exposed on Saturday against LSU. Um, but they, they're not enough. They're, they're not getting enough out of their young guys that they've brought in, and it, there's, it looks like they could be about to pay for it. Well, I, I think the just I mean the, the truth is right. They they have they they've won some some games against some solid football teams. And you roll into Baton Rouge, and you're going to roll into Kyle Field Saturday night, and you're playing teams that are routinely top 10 recruiting classes in the country. Every recruiting class is going to have attrition, right? When when you are – and I don't always buy into the whole recruiting ranking thing. I'm, I'm typically not that big a fan of it. But when you roll in with a class that in the past three years, and I'm completely making this number up, but let's just say Ole Miss is average being the 18th best team on signing day. And you roll in an LSU's average being the fourth or the fifth. Say what you want about Ed Orgeron, right? He, Joe Burrow led him to a title with a bunch of dudes, and he came out the next year and things got ugly, but he was recruiting his butt off the entire time. That's what he does, yeah. Hey, Brian Kelly took that job, and he inherited dudes. It was about – getting some of his dudes to grow up and getting a lot of them to buy in, right? We And we've started to see that. That's what we said last week after the Florida game. So the reality is for all that, we know Lane Kiffin can coach football, period. We know the dude can game plan, he can scheme, he can call plays. He's got good coaches on the staff. But the reality is they they have managed to probably play above their ceiling in individual games for a lot of his tenure in Oxford. And at some point, and then this is not a, oh, God, the sky is falling, like, version. Like, at some point, reality sets in and the game doesn't go your way. And maybe maybe it's what you schemed up doesn't work. Maybe, you know, it's just about the matchup. Maybe it's whatever. I mean, the game started, and when Ole Miss was up, you know, 17-3 or whatever, I'm sitting there going, this this is surprising me. Me too. and, and so then I actually opened up a file on my computer with like, okay, because well, in my mind, I'd prepared the whole day for, okay, here's what I'm writing when they lose. And I had not spent a lot of time thinking about what I would write when they won. And I actually opened up that file and went, well, let's kind of think a little here. And then LSU went boom, 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 boom. And I went, ah, we don't have to think too much. I, I you know, one thing that, and I think part of it is is a young team, and part of it is say what you want, Ole Miss. A lot of times with the transfer portal guys, I still think of them as young, right? 
young from the standpoint, we talked a ton at the beginning of this year about the culture that Kiffin's built. And I still think there's a lot to be praised there. Um, but if you're a senior coming in from another program, you are young in this program, right? Malik Heath has come in and made an impact on this offense. He has been a very good player. Big time. But I can't tell you what impact he's had in the locker room, right? And and what we have seen from Ole Miss is, is there have been instances throughout the season where they hit a lull. We've seen it in offensive scoring. We've seen it in defensive production um, where they hit a lull, and at times they've been able to, to kind of come out of it. That's one of the things I remember I think I said last week was Ole Miss hasn't been great on defense. They've been good in the moment, right? There's been a moment in the game where they had to be good, and they found a way to be good in that moment. When those moments came against LSU, they were not good, right? And that's, that's again, that's part – all those things to me are indicative of a young football team. Um, you know, and, and so I, I do, I, I think that depth, I think that overall depth and talent obviously matters. Um, I think that Ole Miss still being in my mind, a young football team. I mean, who's, who's the leader on this football team? Is it Jackson Dart, the kid that hadn't been there for eight months and is still a sophomore? And he's 19. Right? And, he, he, and I think the answer offensively is, yeah. I I I think it probably is, and and if it's if it it's not, be, it might be Nick Broker, and you know, look, if you're Nick Broker, if you're Jeremy James, there's got to be a little part of you that looks around during that game on Saturday and thinks, you know, would we be better off if I was at left tackle and he was at right tackle and a little more prepared to handle what's being thrown at us? I don't know. I mean. On the play of the game, the last chance Ole Miss had to stay in the game, second goal at the nine, uh, Perkins broke three and broke free and hit Dart. I think it was Perkins. And one of the things that happened as that play was getting started was a tackle was asking a guard a question. Mm-hmm. And that's again, that's all. All of that is youth related, and there's there's plenty of other young football teams. I mean. Lord knows LSU's quarterback hasn't been on campus long, right? So it, it's not like, oh, they're this ultra mature football team. But but again, that's I think where there's talent and there's 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 different things. And there's certainly some things scheme-wise that I think are are intriguing about that game. And you know, offensively, uh, Ole Miss had a good plan, they had good things. There were some things they did that that surprised me a little bit, particularly in the run game. You know, we we I showed some Tennessee versus LSU film, and it was Tennessee's offense. And by the way, first play of the game, I called it. Ole Miss reloaded to a fast screen. I'm just going to give myself props for that, right? I try not to be that guy, but I was straight up like, "Told you." Um, I looked at my wife. She was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Nothing." Um, so uh, my daughter was. She laughed. She thought it was funny. But so, you know, th- there were things there. But And Ole Miss tried to go back to those things because we saw Tennessee have a lot of success with it. We saw Florida have a lot of success with it. One was a holding call down in the red zone. The first play of the game probably should have been a holding call of Ole Miss and it didn't get called. They tried to reload and throw a fast screen in the second quarter in the red zone, and that's when they ended up having to kick the field goal. Um, uh, actually, I, that actually may have been one of the later drives, not the the – Field goal at the start of the second quarter, but um, 
where so they had some penalties and some different things in that game. So I think they got away from it, but there was missed opportunities. You know, everybody, the one Domingo, um, if you go watch it, Dart, it's, it's, <laughs> he missed him by seven yards. Yeah. It's actually an impressive throw because he threw it off of his back foot because he had pressure in his lap from every angle. Right. And, to, and didn't he have to kind of take a secondary drop? Oh, it? he, he, he gained depth in his drop and is throwing off his back foot. And it is pretty nice arm strength to get it out there, but he's off target. And there were, you know, Lord knows Twitter and, and social media and message boards um, went crazy about there was a third down where Dart tried to hit um, Casey Kelly on a dig route. The ball was slightly behind him and it got dropped or it got broken up. If you watch the play from the end zone angle, Dart's body is turned in a different direction than where he's throwing the football and he can't rotate his hip to step into it. And so when that happens, right, think about like a sidearm pitcher, the arm lags behind, the ball is going to be behind. And it would have been a hell of a catch for anybody, not just 81. You know, and and so yeah, he takes. Oh, you got to catch that, and he takes all this. No, Dart couldn't make a great throw. He made a really a, a as good as he could, considering the pocket presence and what what he had he got, in his lap. He got hit a lot. And oh, he he, he got people listen. all around him all day. He had to. He's a human. Number one. Number two. He had to be aware of the pass rush. The athleticism of LSU's defensive line. B.J. Ojolari, number 18, from Marietta High School in my region. We played them three weeks ago. Like, he had a field day. Other than the defensive holding call on the nice little trick play that Kiffin dialed up where they tried to hit the throwback to Casey Kelly, outside of that play, Ojolari had a huge game. And it wasn't always resulting in a sack or a stat. But his ability to manipulate the pocket for Ole Miss against either of those young tackles. It's that um, word that I use all the time, not to interrupt you, but it's the word that I use all the time that I think Ole Miss's defensive front sort of lacks. It's it's disruption. It's it's not do you make plays, because Ole Miss's defensive front makes plays. It's can you find guys that can consistently disrupt. That's in LSU from a personnel standpoint, but also from a, a design standpoint. One thing about their defense from the jump is, and I, I was curious, like they they were fairly static coverage-wise against um, Tennessee. Part of that, I thought, was the wide splits. Is they force you into some things. Showed a little bit more against Florida. But again, Florida, different style of ball. Things are packed in a little bit more. Um, and against LSU, they, they got, again, fairly static on the back end in their coverages, but they were extremely active with their front. Um, those linebackers are so athletic. They're able to use their edge players in so many different ways, and they did a lot of things to try and negate um, the Ole Miss offensive line. And when it got to a point they were successful enough on first down that they could get Ole Miss into sure passing downs, and it gave them problems. Um you know, th there were I, – I don't like – I try not to single out players. I try – for for negative things, right? I try not to just bash kids. Um, but the reality is, is is Ole Miss was outmatched 
on the edge of the offensive line. And that's that's two young players going against future NFL players. Um, and that honestly is the biggest fear I have this week right. is, is again, Texas A&M's front is they're good. Very, you talented. know, it's very talented. Um, so, you know, that, that you know, that's, PJ has looked at the film. I mean, he's, he's oh, what LSU did. He, and, he, he's looked at the film. He, he knows those kids. And that's, you know, that that's the thing is I, I know a lot of people want to talk about the Ole Miss defense um, and, and how they played. I mean, that's, you know, I've, people have been asking me questions about it and I've kind of reserved on, on commenting. And I know you and I have talked a little bit about it and I, I've got some different thoughts and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not in the staff room. I, I don't know what goes on, but let's let's look at a couple of things kind of while we're here, and then we'll we'll shift and we'll get to uh, we'll get to some more Texas A&M. So, um, you know, just I don't. I, I've got film of Ole Miss's offense. I've watched it. I don't have the the copy of the defense, but I was able to go grab some just some still shots and. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I think people keep asking and people are wanting to know is, is why in the hell is Ole Miss so far off, right? Why why are they playing with such cushion in the secondary? And then obviously everybody wants to talk about, you know, the 3-2, it doesn't work. Why are we in it and, and, and all of this stuff? And so my, my thoughts on the three safety structure and, and you know, are going to differ from a lot of people's because I do understand the, the, I have a basic understanding, at least I'll say of the, the kind of science behind it and why you do it. Um, but ultimately I think part of what's, what's ailing Ole Miss right now, and it is in part, it's what you said. It's a lack of explosion on the defensive line. And no matter how you slice it, we can play six defensive linemen. If they're not going to be explosive, it's not going to be that effective. Because if Ole Miss were to try and suddenly flood the field with defensive linemen that are not being overly effective, that means that they're putting greater strain on their secondary. And I think that a lot of what you see out of Ole Miss defense and how they're playing right now is honestly about protecting that secondary. I, there's no doubt about I, it. There's I, no I, doubt about it. I think they they know what the strength of those guys are, and they're trying to play to those strengths. And the, I don't think that they see the strength of these players as being in-your-face type defensive backs. I don't know if Ole Miss truly has a safety outside of Finley that they're willing to play man-to-man coverage with. Well, I'm going to interrupt you just to say this. There's a We do all of our interviews in their halftime team meeting room. And in there, there's a board where the defense meets, and they have all these things of – violent and physical and blah, blah, blah. And one of them is stop the game breaker. And the game breaker was the, they, they put a, they put an X by it if they didn't do it. And they put a shark by it if they did do it. And the only shark this week was on stop the game breaker. And so we asked, well, who was the game breaker? And it was seven. So they were very focused on the wide receiver. And, and that's, that's when you talk about stopping the game breaker, right? One way you do that when the game breaker is an outside player is you build an umbrella on top of the defense to take away explosives. And you hedge your bets that this guy is not going to be patient enough to continually work and win underneath. Right. And and, and it's you nailed it. Yep. It, it it is a game plan 
that has it has worked for Ole Miss in games in Lane's Kiffin Kiffin's tenure, and you know it, it worked in games last year um, with the, the, the first quarter Saturday. That it did. I mean, early on they were having some success, and then LSU started to adjust, and some different things took over. But you know, you you look here and you come out and you see this deep safety structure. What they're doing now. This is a still picture. Bodies move, right? There's a lot of snaps where this is what Ole Miss shows, and by the time the ball is snapped, either the corner is down tighter or the safety is down tighter. And what LSU did a good job of on Saturday was identifying where the cushion was and being able to take advantage of it. I don't think that Ole Miss has played every game this loose. I think there's been times where they have. But I really do think that the skill of LSU's receivers and the ability that they showed against Florida to push the ball down the field and generate explosives, I think a big part of the game plan was make make LSU make them play the long drive and not the long play type of offense, right? Um, You know, these are from the first drive, and you see it from the jump. There's the umbrella, right? It is throw it underneath, rally up, limit the gain. Do not let them behind you. Yeah, maybe they'll turn it over. Maybe they'll get a penalty. Maybe they'll drop a pass. Maybe he'll make a bad throw. It's, it's, it's hey, we're going to make you earn it. We're going to make you all the way. We're not going to let you have the 65-yard play over the top with with um, seven, whose name is escaping me right now. A hundred percent. Yep. So, you know, and, and the thing is, like, when you play this style, you need to get production here, right? And you need production both in the run game, but you also need production in the passing game. And that is part of the issue right now is Ole Miss is not generating enough production here. Yep. So for the, Ole Miss, for the Ole Miss staff, here's the – Here's the conversation they're having between drives, and here's the conversation that they're having at halftime. This was our game plan. At halftime, the game plan has started to show some 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 weakness, but it's still a ball game. Once things started to get away, your option, okay, let's be more aggressive. Let's walk him down. Let's walk him down. Let's get him involved in the pressure. Let's put him man on man. Clearly, they did not feel like the matchup there was in their favor. Okay. When I went back and just buzzed through watching some of this, you know, Prince is, has been a solid corner for all this. And I think he's a solid player. There's a play where LSU and, and they end up having to kick the field goal um, because the receiver catches a, a, catches a ball in the back of the end zone and he is out of bounds. And it was, it was a nice catch, but he's out of bounds. It's fairly well defended. Ole Miss pressed that receiver on that play with Prince. He got a clean release, beat him at the line, and stacked him enough to dig and work the back of the end zone. So I think that's an indication of what Ole Miss was afraid of. They got away with it on that play because he caught the ball, but he landed out of bounds. But I I think that Ole Miss was really worried that if they try to get into that game of playing that style of football, against LSU that there were going to be mismatches. The other problem with playing that style of football is this. 
if I come down and I say I'm going to play everybody man-to-man, I put a lot of strain now because if I play a man-to-man in pressure and I cannot account for an athletic quarterback, I can be in big trouble. We saw that a couple of plays against Auburn where they tried to go after him. They didn't get there, and he was able to make some things happen. Truth is you saw it a little bit against Tulsa, but you just didn't know exactly what it was that you saw. You definitely saw it against Tulsa. So here it is again. This is first and 10, right? They are rotating this safety down in the box to add an extra run fitter. He is about to move down, and he is going to tighten that side of the formation. So the umbrella is not going to stay as as tall as it is now. But the reality is, in order to protect against these guys beating you down the field, you are now putting a lot of stress on these guys to win in the box. So the next kind of picture I have is this same formation. It's the same play. It's from the end zone. Okay. So they are running just a version of zone. These two guys are doubling up to him. These two guys are doubling to him. And these two guys are essentially doubling to the safety. So what Ole Miss is trying to do, at least what it looks like to me, is play what's known as a two-gap assignment with the defensive lineman. Okay. They both, all three of these guys are trying to, instead of slanting and moving, they're trying to attack the blocker, read what type what they're getting, and then they're displacing themselves or rather placing themselves in the gap based on the fit. You can tell by where the linebacker is, and I can't tell who that is because he's he's covered up. He is waiting on the defensive lineman to put his head inside this gap. I think that's so that he can now scrape here. I think he is waiting on him to control the double team so he can fit over the top. Yep. They're wanting him probably to be here, and he's going to fit late. He's going to read the ball carry. He's either going to insert here, or if he gets a wide angle, he still gets chance to insert here. Well, you also have to have a player for the quarterback. If you take the linebacker and you put him here, now you put him on the quarterback, which leaves you one-on-ones on the outside where you've got number seven and some of his his locker mates, right? If you leave him patient on the RPO and the quarterback pulls it, if he can't get over the top of the double team because his D lineman's in his lap and he's making his read, his fit difficult, now you put the deep safety having to go make a play on the quarterback. So when you're playing from a plan and structure standpoint where you're having to protect your back end because of the skill on the outside, but you're also having to try and be gap sound against skill in the backfield, it, it makes things tough. And, and you know, there's a reason you don't see teams run a 4-3 anymore, right? Everybody wants to play a four-down lineman. You don't see a 4-3 anymore. Because it is almost impossible to be gap sound and protect your back end enough. Now you'll see teams play four two five, right? And but a lot of what Ole Miss does when they feel they can be aggressive and when they feel they're good on their matchups on the perimeter, they're essentially a four two five defense, just with a slightly different body. Um, this is one of the formations that I was worried about after the Florida game, and it is a formation that gave Ole Miss problems, okay? So what they've done here, they've gotten into an unbalanced set. 
So you have a tight end over here. He is ineligible. He actually started on this side, and they shifted and traded him across. Okay. So you have on that side of the ball, you have one, two, three, four gaps. Plus, you have three receivers over there. Okay. So Ole Miss knows, again, I mean, and we're talking this is second or third and five, clearly in the red zone. So Ole Miss has come down, and they're essentially playing a five-man front here. Yeah, it's, a it's get, Call it a 3-2 all you want to. That They're playing a five-man front. They're playing a 3-4 defense right now or an old-school five-oaky defense that yep. Oklahoma invented in the 70s, right, 60s, whenever it was. So the issue is with the unbalanced and with these three receivers, Ole Miss, to match it, also has three DBs on that side of the formation, but they're giving them that cushion. Now, I think, one, they're doing it, again, because of skill. But also, when we've talked a good bit about this, these guys, because it's into the short side of the field, they're fairly close together. So in order for Ole Miss to be more aggressive there, you have to take your safety, who is not one of your better man cover guys, and get him down to play man-to-man, and now the other two guys are going to have to operate off of him. But you need him in the run fit because this guy can kill you with his legs. Okay? So what happens right here, if if I were, if you're an offensive coordinator, if you're a quarterback looking at this live and you see seven dudes at the line of scrimmage, three guys off, where are you going with this football? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm passing. Right. Take your soft cushion. Yeah. I'm, I'm like in that zone and I'm probably going to go underneath with a quick, because there's my first down marker right there. They, they throw, they throw the bubble right there. They, they got inside zone so he can run it or read it, but he sees a soft cushion out there. So he just pulls up and throws the bubble first down inside the 10 yard line. Right. So I think a lot of the frustration that fans have with, with the Ole Miss defense, honestly, or, or again, not, not to critical of college kids, but those same frustrations probably exist in the staff room because Ole Miss is not doing this because they're dumb. They're doing it because they have a reason, whether you agree with that reason, whether you understand that reason, that reason exists. And if they change to try and they feel more vulnerable playing the other style than they do playing this way, despite the results of this not working. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sometimes it's tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. When you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Therapists can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or small life comes at you, and therapy can help. We've talked about it before where... Maybe you talk to friends, family members, but they have preconceived notions. They uh, have their own emotional investment in your problems. With a therapist, you get a clean slate. Somebody will just listen and help you work through your problems to feel a little less stressed, a little more confident, and more. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapist at any point. You can turn your camera on or off, whatever it needs to make it as comfortable as possible for you. So if you want a better problem solving situation therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com slash mpw to get 10 percent off your first month that's better h-e-l-p.com slash mpw yeah they're trying to win the game 
but they know you don't like to criticize players. I don't either. I'm trying not to criticize other the people that create the narratives because maybe I'm one of them. But there's a narrative around a handful of players. I don't want to name them. That they're special, like elite players. And Pete, they're not. They're just players. There are good players that have been good in their roles when the scheme has fit them. And that's that's and that's, that's fine, right? That that's is the fine. reality of most football players. Yeah, you but you but but you you to dominate a game, you have to have special players. You have to have impactful elite players. Olajari, Perkins. Um Ole Miss doesn't have those guys on defense. Their best linebacker, really, maybe their only linebacker, if we're being honest, is a Central Michigan transfer. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And when he's out and he's, he's playing really badly hurt right now, when he's out, they're not very good there. And so people talk about going to a 4-3. I'm like, with what? Three linebackers? That's all you have on the whole roster? I mean, you got uh, that makes no sense. Who's going to do that? And it, it, when A.J. Finley goes out, every other DB, Otis Reese, really good against the run, not so much against the pass. Ladarius Tennyson, ditto. Tysheem Johnson, maybe the opposite. Not a great tackler right now. Pretty decent in pass coverage. You you talk about the corners. One's a true freshman who was playing high school football in New Jersey last year. 
The other is, is, is Prince, who's a good player. But there are people that have tried to build him up as an elite player, and I don't know that he is. And, and yet, you know, Miles Battle's not on the field. It's, it, there's just a lot going on. And, and you look at it and you're like, the truth is, for all the knocks on the coaching, they probably coached these guys up better than we're giving them credit for. It, it, it It's not out of the question. I mean, I, I if Ole Miss is going to change and suddenly become a four-man defense, they're going to have to recruit their way to it. It's not going to be that they show up, and maybe I'm wrong, and and but they're not going to show up at Texas A&M on Saturday and suddenly be at four man front. Well, no, because you, you can't you can't do all it, that in a week. It, it it doesn't happen like that. Now, I will say one of the interesting things, and let me see if I've got this is the one that I want. So, one of the things about A&M is I and kind of bridge and segue here is A&M is extremely versatile. And, and yes, we can all say on the message board, boy, I, I bet Durkin is not loving his decision and whatever. But he inherited some really, really good talent defensively. And they've given up points, and they, they haven't been perfect. And there's a lot of things going on, I'm sure. And we've all seen the rumors and heard different things. But they do have the ability to go from a four-man to a three-man front, but it is, it's again, it's because of recruiting because this guy, much like Will Anderson that you see playing for Alabama is a linebacker and he is a really good linebacker that is versatile enough to go put his hand in the ground. So they're able to take their three-man schemes, keep their coverage structure the same and essentially become a four-man front, almost like calling a blitz. Right. Instead of this guy lining up here and coming from depth, we're just going to walk him up to the line of scrimmage. And he's good enough to play with defensive line technique. Ole Miss does not have that luxury because they don't have a player on their roster that can be that swing guy. They have safeties that can come down and do an adequate job on the edge when they when they need them to. But a lot of that need is based on how comfortable they are with everything that's going on behind those guys. Right. A&M operates in a little bit different world from a from a, a personnel standpoint. Now, they did last year, too, and Ole Miss was extremely successful and, and won that ball game and did some really good things by being aggressive defensively in that game. And I do think you'll see a more aggressive style of defense from Ole Miss this week. For sure. Um, and b- the best players in the backfield, then it's not the quarterback, right? And And they have skill on the outside, and they'll try to protect those guys at times. But I think that you'll see Ole Miss be aggressive because of the style of offense that A&M plays. But that's one thing for me about A&M that, that can make them difficult to prepare for is, is, you know, and it's always one of the interesting things, right? Clearly, Durkin has an idea of what works for Lane, right? And he has faced him. He's faced him in practice. And there's always points in the season where the defense wins. And early in camp, you see it all the time. And so, you know, Durkin's looking at a lot of the things that he's seeing on film, and he's going, okay, what, what do I recognize? What's familiar? What, what tendencies still exist? The things that I grew accustomed to facing all the time in the spring and in the summer and early, early season. Um, but Lane's doing the same thing, Right. So in so many ways, it it boils down to the matchups. And, and so it's okay if I feel like this is 
a hole in the scheme, right? And, and that'll be the interesting to me. And, and that's these guys probably have some idea being Durkin and being Lane of when they can get certain things. And that oftentimes plays in the hands of the offense, right? If Ole Miss knows by lining up in a certain fashion they can get Durkin to check into a certain coverage, then they have a plan for how they want to attack it, right? Uh, Offensive coordinators and game planners spend a ton of time saying what's most likely to guarantee a look or or what, what, what most assures us a certain look. And then, okay, how do we attack that look, right? How do we motion when we do? Like, how does that play out? Well, Kiffin's going to have some idea there, right? Now, he had some idea there when he played Saban for the first time, and he happened to have Elijah Moore and, you know, Matt Corral and Jerry Neely, and they, and they did some really freaking good things. They did. And I'm not telling you that same thing's going to happen, but but that's what you that's what you want if you're an Ole Miss fan. You want him to have the same idea. You know, when I first started watching, I was thinking, okay, maybe Durkin's kind of going back to who he was before the transition, before last season when they went and spent time at Iowa State. And I really think he's tried to blend the two, the three-two that he picked up at Iowa State and blend it with some of his four-man principles that he, you know, ran as, as, as when he first got to Ole Miss, that he ran at Maryland, when he ran when he was with Muschamp at, at Florida. And you do see a little bit of some of it. Um, the the big thing to me and the ultimate challenge of the game for Ole Miss is going to be right there. If Ole Miss can have success against the defensive front um, of Texas A and M, and and listen, teams have, you know, but but the the weird thing is, and it's is, you know, we Ole Miss goes to Vanderbilt and runs for, you know, or throws for. 450 yards and they come against Auburn and they run 400 yards and you almost don't know what you're going to get, but it looked like it was always going to be okay. Um, with, with Texas A&M on both sides of the ball, it, it's lackluster against Mississippi state play Alabama to the final play, turn around, go to South Carolina and, and make enough mistakes and ended up getting it handed to them by, by an improving South Carolina team. I mean, they dug such a hole in Columbia. I mean, 17 to nothing before you look up. And it wasn't because the defense got whipped. It was because they gave up a kickoff return and there was an interception and a fumble or whatever. And before you know it, it's 17 to nothing. You're like, holy shit. And and those are the things that Ole Miss is going to need to – Ole Miss is going to need to try to put them in a hole, right? And we've seen the last two weeks Ole Miss has gotten a team in a hole and let them out of it. Ole Miss is going to need to find a way, be it through special teams or offense or, or turnovers on defense, to get A&M in a hole. And then the trick is going to be to, to try and keep them there. Yeah, you got to put the top on top of the hole. That that, that, that is – that filling that joker back in has not exactly yep. been um, been the, the – not exactly been where Ole Miss has excelled this year. So you, you can see here, you know, they come out and they are slanting and they are moving – and they are trying to create havoc with everything that they can. Okay. This is a scheme that Alabama comes out first play of the game. It's it's very similar to things we've seen out of Ole Miss, right? Quarterback's got read game, balls go, you know, running backs going one way, quarterback's got the ability to go the other way. AM does a really nice job fitting things on the front side, 
Their movement creates havoc in the backfield. And then they're doing a good job right now in the secondary of building fits. You know, this turns into a seven, eight yard gain for Alabama, but this, this easily could have been a very minimal gain. Um, you know, because again, I, A&M does a decent job of fitting the ball there. Um, and so I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, so Durkin's gotten back into some of his four man stuff. And then the very next clip, the defensive end that was just lined up is now a linebacker. The same three D linemen are on the field now and they've just adjusted, right? One guy that was playing linebacker the play before is now walked out is like a strong safety. They're playing a lot of the three safety structure, the same coverage principles that we saw out of the Ole Miss defense, or excuse me, out of the, uh, yeah, the Ole Miss defense last year when, when Durkin was still in Oxford. This is 3-2-6. This is second and one at Alabama, and they come out in a five-man box with three high safeties. But what's the difference you see between how Ole Miss played LSU with three safeties and how A&M is playing Alabama right here? Well, a lot less cushion. A lot less cushion. Those corners are pressed, right? Three corners cushion. They they are walked up. They are being aggressive. Safeties are already starting to to rock down and get ready to play in the box. So they clearly have more faith in their guys on the perimeter to be able to win. I mean, they are playing man-to-man coverage on both of those outside receivers right there for Alabama, and, and they eat it up. You know, Bama tries to motion one of the backs out, get into a, a pretty basic pass concept. They've got safeties locked up in man-to-man coverage with one guy free. They've got linebackers on the flat route. And basically what you've got right here is these two safeties are bracketing this tight end. If he releases out, the outside safety takes him, and I become a free player. If he were to release in, the inside safety would take him. And now they're able to get another free player to kind of rob anything underneath from the outside. And so their willingness and ability to be more aggressive in the secondary complements their um, their desire to be aggressive up front. Let me ask you a question here because I'm curious. I talked to someone. I'm trying to be careful here because I don't want to get into sourcing and stuff. But LSU believed going into last week that Ole Miss did not have the personnel to take the top off their defense. If that's the case, and maybe it's not, feel free to say, no, they're they're wrong. If that's the case, did did LSU provide sort of a blueprint for everybody else if you have corners who can run at all? You know, po- possibly. Um, you know, Mingo got behind them early. He got behind them a second time that they missed. Um and and some of that was scheme. There was not another play that I can recall where Ole Miss got behind LSU. Right? They they found some holes underneath and they did some things there. Yeah, they were very um, effective early with Malik Heath on some of the crossing stuff, clearing out and coming under really good, well developed passing plays that, that Lane is known for. I mean, he's mm-hmm. very very good, obviously. But yeah, we we have we have you know. Realistically, we have not seen, and 
there were clearly a couple of plays in the Vanderbilt game, but a lot of the Vanderbilt success was stuff that was thrown underneath that then went a long way. Yeah. There's not that Braylon Sanders that just takes the top off of the defense. No, and and in particular in the slot, right? I mean, I don't you, – you don't – they're doing a good job and they're moving 11 around and they're getting the ball, but they're not getting the ball down the field. They're, they're getting it to him in space, right? And so I, I I that makes sense to me that that LSU would would have that belief and and the reality is if you look at the rest of the Ole Miss schedule I, I if until Ole Miss proves it wrong I don't know if there's anybody left on the Ole Miss schedule that may not feel the same way. Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's why I'm so interested in this game. This this if 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 A and M's able and, and again if capital I capital F underline it italicize it the whole deal but if they're able to repeat LSU's defensive game plan well now you know what's coming the rest of the way you you do and you know when when Ole Miss early they're able to run the football and then you know as things get going they they find some issues a little bit against LSU running the ball. Um, and ultimately, they get behind to the point where they they have to kind of get away from the run a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, Lane said it after the Auburn game. Lane said a lot of the stuff we've done is on film now. People are going to start having answers for it. So he, he tried to warn everybody the run game is still going to be okay, but it may not be what you, what yeah, you like, want it to be. Like he said, and it's something I say all the time, the other team gets paid to coach too. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So um, – you know, I, I I don't I I'll be curious to see just how aggressive um, Durkin chooses to be uh, against against the Ole Miss receivers um, because they they do want to be aggressive at times. I mean, you can see right here this is a first and ten. You see they're walked down to address the 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 point man to address this kind of stack look by the receivers, but they're playing soft cushions over here. I don't think you're going to see a ton of that against Ole Miss because one thing Jackson Dart is good at is he will turn and he will throw that hitch on run plays. Um, first drive of the game the other day, uh, first or second drive, he pulled up and threw one to Malik Heath who turned and broke a tackle and took it about 25 yards. You know, those are the things that were, I think that you're going to probably see a little bit tighter. And when you don't see it pre-snap, you're going to see it late with movement. Um, but I think, you know, if Durkin feels like in particular his safeties can can really run with Ole Miss, I think you'll see him play a little bit tighter because he does trust his front. I mean, you go to the end zone copy of this one right here, and they're stunning, and Alabama handles this extremely well. And number 10 takes a bad angle. He fits his gap. They're, they're wanting the ball now to spit to this safety that's coming in. They've got a cutback player here with this safety. And, you know, right there, I mean, Jameer Gibbs does Jameer Gibbs so, things. And so good. I have so much I can say about him when we get to, to that preview. But, you know, th this is an aggressive movement against, against a zone run play that we see from Ole Miss. And the question will be, when, you're, when it's Ole Miss, are they savvy enough for this player to come off here, because if they're not, the A and M gets exactly what they want, and this is a two-yard game. But because he's able to come off, and they do a good enough job everywhere else, 
Now you get Gibbs one-on-one with the safety. And whether it's Gibbs or Zach Evans or Judkins, or it's a win now, right? Because now it's five yards, you're falling forward for seven, and it's a win. But the movement makes that difficult. Now, Ole Miss has seen a ton of movement all year long, but last week is the first week where we saw Ole Miss face movement with real big-time players on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And and they're going to see that again um, this this weekend. You know, here again, here's a, you know, we're, I think this is another first down. This is the next play. So, again, they are willing to walk up and press. Pressing now has allowed them – they've got a safety to fit the run game without a whole lot of pass to worry about pre-snap. They're playing four over three here. So they have numbers in the passing game, the ability to rally up on anything short. They still have hats in the box because, again, the ability, it's actually he's on the other side, the ability to take number 10 and walk him down and use him in multiple facets. And, the you know, you pair that with the, the comfortability of pressing on, the on you know, Alabama's one of their top receivers up there um, really gives them just a lot of freedom. Now, you run this to the end zone right here, okay? Again, not as aggressive in the four-man front. They still slant and move. It's not necessarily as chaotic a lot of times, I don't think, as the three-man front is, okay? But they're going to come down right here, and Alabama does a decent job. They get they get some movement on their double team. The D end is going to turn, and he's going he's gonna to dent or spill this lineman. So he's going to basically try to shut down this inside gap, force the second puller around, and 45 is going to take him on on his inside shoulder. What that means is when the ball comes out here, it's forced to go outside, and there's an unblocked safety who's coming down to now fit the run. This fit is no different than the things that Ole Miss is trying to do. It is just the you know, what you see here. And then clearly the the safety comes down to make the play and, and kind of gets left a little bit by the by the quarterback. Um the the difference is from what I see is they are fitting things at a faster rate than I see Ole Miss fit things, especially at the second level. And you go back to the Auburn game when Kiffin talked about guys put their heads in the wrong hole, they fit the wrong gaps. We were late getting to things. That that's what it is. Sometimes there's indecision, and I think that indecision is maybe because of how the D line is playing, where linebackers and safeties aren't really sure where their fit needs to be, and so they fit things um, just just a little bit late. And um, you know, where with LSU, with Texas A and M right here, it is a whole other ball game from a speed standpoint. Now. The other thing you do see is you see stuff like this. Now, this is a boot. They come out of, and it's a sack, okay? But if you look down here to the bottom of the field, sorry, look down here to the bottom of the field and look at both receivers. You've got a receiver running open down the seam. You've got a receiver open on the outside. Yeah. If it's not a boot and it's a traditional – a traditional drop back isn't going to get you the same result because the run action holds this guy, and that's why he doesn't collision him, which he's supposed to do, but it also prevents him from getting wide into the flat here. But if you're able to play action this, 
and you can get them in their single high structure, in their cover three, which is what they're playing right here, you can find holes because it's it's still cover three. It's it's you know it's about having the ability to one recognize it and to manage the front when they're bringing their pressures. And you can see again from the end zone, you see the movement, you see the slant and the havoc that they're trying to create up front. You see their speed and and, and their reaction time at the second level and their ability to, to go make plays. 24 is so athletic that he he has no time to even read. He, he is, and if you go back and look at it from the wide copy, you know, he, he is off the ball three yards right here. He sees run. He knows he's responsible for bootleg as soon as run goes away. Anything at him, he's going to hit it in the mouth right now. Run goes away. Watch him slow down. He's going to temper. He's going to stay square. And as soon as he sees the quarterback come out of that mesh and get his head back around, he knows boot, he gets vertical right now and rut row. Right. If 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 they are playing a scheme where he is in the box, now you're dealing with the D end and he's still a really good athlete, but you got a little bit better chance. He's having to get hands on the tackle, he's having to ride things down a little bit. But the scheme here, again. Safety's coming down in the box. That allows him to plus out this backer. It gives him just a better vantage point. Now he is the pull-up player on that quarterback, and he is so athletic and gets there so quickly that it it results in a negative. Um, you know, so I again, I think from a defensive perspective, it's going to be, or from an offensive perspective, rather, it really is going to be all about Ole Miss's ability to handle the chaos, right? Handle um, all, all of the things that, that they're going to see from a really athletic front. So and, if, you're, if you're DJ, do you look at the film of last week and say, hey, I got to go after those tackles. I got to attack them. Do you do you try to create chaos off the edges to to stress them? I think that's who he is regardless. And and they're not the first team to do it. I mean, I you know, honestly, Kentucky did, Vanderbilt did, but the matchups were better. Right, the matchup finally caught up to Ole Miss, um, and so I, I think DJ looks at it and says, "Similar, similar ability, right? We can go attack in in a similar fashion." Um, you know, when when A and M has the ball, it is all about this man, and if Ole Miss can can mitigate his success both as a runner and as a passer, I think they have to feel good now. There's other talent on that offense. Don't don't get me wrong. There's there's plenty of it. But Devin um, Chain is the game breaker. He man, he he is the dude. Yeah, he's a stud. So right here, and I thought this was a great design by Jimbo. Um, you know, they motion across, try to get into an Alabama into a certain coverage right here, and they run a, a leg instead of a quarterback run game. They run leg off counter. They they're pulling two guys. They, they've taken their best player, faking him away, and they're trying to get him out on the edge and get a cheap one early. They go with the little wheel route, try to create a rub. Alabama covers it decently, but because of the full run action, because of both pullers and the tailback going away from the quarterback, there's nobody out there to pull him up. And he's able to take off, and he's made some plays with his legs this year at times. Um, you can see the action here. I mean, you see it. Why these two guys are basically holding hands, I'm pretty sure that's not what Saban wanted when he talked to him in the film room. 
but watch the the you know Jimbo does a good job. Look at everybody's flowing. Everybody sees the pull. Best players out the back door. You can see even now the safety number two at the top of the screen. He's chasing it too until he realizes, and it's too late at that point, and they're able to open with the first down by a quarterback run on a nice little bootleg. Okay, so now Texas A&M comes out, and you're always going to see a lot of variation from Jimbo early in games. He's going to come out with an opening script. He's going to give you multiple formations and motions, and he wants to know what your game plan is, how are you going to react to certain things, and that's kind of how he tries to build his attack the rest of the night so they come out the next play they motion six out of the backfield now they try to take advantage down here and again he's got what he wants he got the coverage he wants he's trying to throw one of these routes right here they're trying to clear the corner with the outside receiver so they start in a three by one trips formation they motion the back out to empty and they're trying to attack that three receiver side and they've got a nice, quick, easy throw, and Alabama does a good job of getting their hands up on the ball. I'm going to skip forward a couple of clips because I thought, this again, some of the things that we've seen Ole Miss do, right? And I think that Jimbo for a long time kind of got the rap of sometimes being a little bit stuck in who he is and, and, and what he does and not necessarily being innovative, but he's doing some things this year in particular to get his back on the edge. And I think that part of that is about knowing maybe that they're not great in the middle up front offensively. Um, go back real quick to my, to my wide copy. So LSU comes out this, or excuse me, A&M comes out. This is early in the game against Alabama and they start in a tight end trips formation. So they have a tight end. So ball is on the left hash tight ends to the right. Three receivers are buried into the short side of the field to the left of the offense. They're going to motion one of those receivers across to now be able to occupy and block the corner. So what they're going to do right here is they're going to work what's known as a bash technique. Okay, Bash means back away. So the run play is actually called to the left, and the offensive line is blocking zone to the left. The back is going to the right. Okay, So the quarterback is going to read the end. You can see a little better in the end zone copy. So they motion across. So he is going to read the defensive end to the right. So the whole uh, the whole lot of the um, uh, the offensive line is blocking to the left. The tight end is going to fake a jab step to the left and then release out an arc to the right. Um, and they're going to bring the back across the quarterback's face. So now. So yeah, this is designed back. to just run Will Anderson out of the play. Run Will Anderson out of the play. Make him wrong based on what he does. If he is upfield, quarterback's going to keep it, and they're going to live with a minimal gain. If he squeezes, then we're going to give it to the tailback. And here, Anderson kind of does what's known as a mesh charge. He runs right at the, the mesh point between the quarterback and the tailback, but his initial step is to go inside and chase the tackle. Now, he's so freakishly athletic. He almost gets himself to the mesh, but he's just a little bit late. He knows his responsibility there is the quarterback. So there's there's a tailback out the back door. And, again, decent blocking on the outside, but you have such a skilled player in space. And so that's the thing that when you look at Ole Miss, you look at the way that they play defense, right, 
if Ole Miss decides we're going to bring these safeties down and we're going to put them close to the box, when you become the read guy and you don't have that umbrella behind you to now come chase down six, you can put yourself in some problems. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, again, I thought Ole Miss game plan against A&M last year was a, a, a solid, solid game plan. Um, and and I think that this year, because A&M does attack a little bit differently, they are a little bit more, in my mind, um, edge-focused with the run game, that it'll be interesting to see how Ole Miss responds. Because they are Ole Miss 100% is going to have to be able to leverage the ball with their safeties in order to control um, this, this run game. So right here. It's a scheme that we've seen Ole Miss run. We've seen them run it against every single team that they've played. So I'm going to go to the end zone. So A&M has two receivers to the left, balls in the middle of the field. They have an H-back to the right and a receiver to the right. So the offensive line is going to block counter to the right. Tight end is going to arc. Tackle is down. Guard is down. Center is back. They're going to pull the left guard and the left tackle. And just like the bash a minute ago, the back is going to go away from where the offensive line is blocking, and the quarterback is again going to read the end man on the line of scrimmage. Okay, so as this plays out in the mesh, the end man freezes. He's not attacking the quarterback, but he's not running upfield, so he is he's kind of frozen there. So they're going to trust their speedster to outrun you, and that's exactly what he does. Now the reality is, when they watch this on film on Saturday, they might have wished he kept it. He'd be one-on-one with the safety right there. Yeah, but he, and he might run forever there. He, God, A-Chain can fly. If Brian Branch doesn't make the play, he's definitely got a big play right there. But A-Chain can fly. Now, it really impressive by Tua Tua, number 10 for Alabama, the linebacker, does a great job of staying on his back hip and tracking to him right there. But if he doesn't make that play, you know, Alabama has gotten out leveraged. It's a seven-yard gain on first down that very easily could have ended up a uh, a bigger play, okay? Show you one that's, that's, again, and this one, I picked this one in particular because this is something that we saw last week uh, from LSU with, with a little bit of success, okay? So here they're making you account for multiple things. Let me go back a little bit, I'm sorry. All right, so they start out in the same formation that we had on the last play. You're two receivers to the left, H-back to the right, receiver to the right, tailback to the right, okay? They're going to motion the slot receiver from the left. He's going to motion over to the right, and they're going to snap the ball, okay? They have arced the tight end to go block for whoever's responsible for that gap. They're blocking with the outside receiver. The quarterback can run, but he's not the kid from LSU. He's not the kid from Auburn. They're not always looking for him to be explosive with his legs, so they're giving him an easy RPO out into the flat. Similar to the wall screen that we've talked about with Ole Miss, but this is not a read. This is 100% triple option football. This is old school wishbone Oklahoma in today's modern game. Okay, So Will Anderson squeezes to take the tailback, tries to come off because, again, the dude is a freak tries to come off onto the quarterback right there and is is ultimately successful but doesn't quite get him down. If Anderson keeps chasing the tailback, the quarterback now has the ability to run the ball 
or throw the ball into the flat. On this particular clip, and if he you don't have up, Will Anderson and you just have some mortal guy at, at defensive end right there, it's a pretty decent it, it, It's a decent game. Now, they also have Brian Branch at number 14 at safety. It's a, another Georgia kid that is another freak and closes, closes space. But if Anderson doesn't make this play right here, when he pulls it, you have to have a player. And this is really my point. You have to be able to defend the tailback on the zone. You have to be able to defend the quarterback when he pulls the football, and you have to be able to defend the receiver in the flat when he catches the football. So if you're Ole Miss, what that means is, and I'm going to go back to the wide copy, if you're Ole Miss, that means you have to have one of your safeties in position to run with the player in the flat. You have to have one of your deep safeties in position to fit on the quarterback. And you have to have your box structure sound enough to stop the tailback. So for, for all of the, the negativity, I guess you could say, or the, the talk about the 3-2-6, that is one of the advantages is in theory it gives you the bodies and the ability to manipulate bodies to get them to those places. But if you're so worried about athletes that you feel like you have to play deep, or if you are light in the box and not generating success with the guys in the box, it can easily easily become a long night. So I'm going to show you one more clip again. Same game, a little bit later, I believe in the same drive. So we're still fairly early in the game right here. So they come out again, and they it's really the same play that I showed you earlier, just a little bit later. They're going to motion the guy back across now. And they're going to go with that same zone bash look now. Now, um, earlier when we saw it, they got the give. They get the give again here. And again, this is another example. This is a second eight where they hand it off to a guy with absolutely elite speed. And Alabama fits it as best they can, but they fit it from a soft leverage perspective. And that's why I wanted to show the play. This is going to be a long night if Ole Miss plays the safeties at 9, 10 yards like they did all night in Baton Rouge. Because here, here's Alabama safety sitting at 10 yards, and by the time he gets there and he gets all the help from all the freaks on the defense that are chasing from the outside, it's a 10-yard game. Um, Ole Miss has not shown, I'm not going to say they don't have, Ole Miss has not shown to have the same players to come help save that safety, right? It's why if I'm Texas A&M, Devin A. Chain's getting 30 carries. He 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 should not touch the ball in practice on Thursday or walk through on Friday, and then they should have the ice bath ready for him on Sunday. Agreed. I, and you you give it to him as much as you can. I'm giving it to him, and whether I don't care who the quarterback is, King, Wegman, I'm giving it to him. Ole Miss is going to have to stop him. And then if they start cheating too much, I'm going over the top, and I've got some athletes that I can, I can take advantage of. N- number one can go. You know, and, and that that's the thing that I know uh, A&M's lost some offensive linemen, you know. Um, and, and so that'll be the question, right? We, we know about their depth on the defensive line. We know how they've recruited defensively. I don't know what their offensive line depth looks like. Yeah. Um, and that certainly could be a, a difference in the game. I mean, Ole Miss's depth is, is going to be a major issue. 
Um, but but what is what is the Texas A&M offensive line depth look like, and what what role will that play? Should absolutely be fascinating. Um, Pete, as always, really appreciate it. We've been brought to you by Walk On Sports Bistro that put everything they've got into bringing you game day with the taste of Louisiana. They're uh, mouth watering, made from scratch Louisiana cuisine. Po boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp. They got burgers, salads. 70-plus TVs, 40-plus ice-cold beers on tap. So if you're not making the trip to College Station, stop by the uh, walk-ons in Oxford or Ridgeland and make sure you tell them how much you appreciate them sponsoring Pete's show. That would be great. And don't forget, uh, you can always inquire about their family and friends bundles, their tailgate platters, order online at walkons.com or on their uh, convenient walk-ons app. Oh yeah, Pete froze on me there. So we'll we'll wrap it up there. We're done with uh we're done with the show. Lost Pete there for a second. That's okay. So we will uh we'll wrap it there. We'll be back in two weeks with uh another edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview. Uh we'll talk about Ole Miss and Alabama with uh Pete Deweese. So for Pete, I'm Neil. Until uh, next time, enjoy your weekend and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks here on the show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.